0: and this is episode 11 of The Tell. When I was a kid, I always wanted to invent games. I didn't like games that previously existed. Uh, And so I would suggest all these crazy things, um, ideas of how to spend our time. Um, And the other kids never wanted to do them. So I'd I'd say, let's write a play and put it on. Even that, which seems like a classic child thing to do, nobody wanted to do that. They wanted to play a board game uh, made by a corporation (laughs) or, you know, Uh, some kind of sport that existed. Um, They they needed a name for it already. They didn't like inventing strange activities. Um, And this got even worse for me as I grew older because as a teenager I was still suggesting the same things. It was even worse to suggest that we write a play and put it on as a teenager. No one wanted to do that. Um, I used to suggest going to a library and, like, hiding notes in books, and that was entertaining to me. No one wanted to do them with me. Um, One time, I visited this girl that I knew from high school in New York during college, and uh, I showed up with this list of things I thought would be fun to do, of zany ideas, and she feigned illness to get away from me. Um, So I still have an appreciation for people who have odd ideas about how to have fun, people who invent games, people who just have strange I- ways of solving problems, um, and people who will run with a funny idea. Um, and I think a lot of great stories come from somebody suggesting something nuts, and somebody saying, yeah, I'll do that. So, uh, today we have stories from Raviv Ullman and Nemo Labrizzi, and uh, they follow some unusual schemes. This is episode 11 of The Tell.
1: So before I lived in New York City, I lived in Los Angeles for many years. I did what felt like everyone was doing in Los Angeles. I was an actor, and I, uh, I know. And uh, and it was you know I was very aware of the fact that uh, in the performing arts, as many of you know, it's a roller coaster, right? Like sometimes it's going great, sometimes it's not going great. In 2008 or so, things were going great. I was working on a TV show. Uh, my buddies were working on TV shows. It was like awesome. And we had this house up in the Hollywood Hills across from the Hollywood Bowl. You could hear the, the concerts from the, from the patio, like by all means, like a peak, right in life. <laughs> so we're living in this house for about two years at this point, and uh, all of a sudden we hear a scratching in the walls, which is never a good sign. And we kinda like ignored it for a little bit and we're like, hopefully that goes away. And it didn't. And then and then suddenly the first sighting of a rat. And uh, kinda like scurried across the floor. I'm like, all right, maybe there's just one. Maybe we don't have to do anything about this. <laughs> you know, we were like stoned and on television and like all right, we'll figure it out later. Uh, but then sure enough, the second rat shows up. So, so we do the only thing we know to do, which is to, to set a trap. You know, we set some traps. We set some traps outside. We set some traps in the corner. Uh, nothing. We set the glue traps, which we feel very guilty about. We set the cheese traps. Uh, we wake up, and the cheese is gone, but no rats. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting smart. Uh, so we call our landlord, our, our wonderful Israeli landlord, Oz, and he comes over. And like he walks up the stairs, and as rats are scurrying by, and uh, and he goes, "Yes, this is a problem." So we bring in the professionals. We bring in uh, the guys to to cover the, the the grates up with metal mesh wire, and and uh, and and that doesn't work. There's more rats, and now they have kids, and uh, literally little baby kid rats. Uh, they come in and they fill up the, the, the holes in the corner of the house with cement. We have like cement going on. That doesn't work, there's still rats. We realize that the rats have now burrowed into the couch and are living there. <laughs> and we're like, this is a, ni- a nice house. We, we got what do we do? We have to leave, I guess, because they live here now and <laughs> they're not paying rent. There's no, what do we do? Uh, so our landlord comes over and he sits us down and he says, guys, you know, I've, we've tried everything, right? We've cemented, we've graded. Uh, I, I, here in the Hollywood Hills there are rats and, and, and there's really not much more we can do except for one more thing. But I'm a little embarrassed to even bring it up. Okay. He opens up his briefcase, and he takes out a a five by seven black and white picture of an old rabbi with a big black hat and a big white beard, lost in rabbinical thought. Quick side note. uh, My grandfather was a rabbi. I grew up what my parents called conservadocs. Uh, and, and he was a great rabbi. He said, you know, you would tell us Judaism is a great, uh, a wonderful religion, only ruined by the people that practice it. <laughs> he told us life is good, don't make it bad. Just a great, great man. Um, and I thought back, and I was like, you know, I've learned a lot from my grandfather and my Judaism, but I don't know anything that would prepare me for this. <laughs> anyway, back to the kitchen. Oz says, I went to my rabbi, and I told him I don't know what to do about this rat problem. And he said, rats mean that people are talking about you. (laughs) This picture of this rabbi makes people stop talking about you and in turn gets rid of the rats. (laughs) So my roommates and I look at each other, and we put it up. <laughs> put it up. And we put this 5 by 7 picture up in the kitchen. And a day goes by and the rats haven't showed up. 48 hours go by and the rats are gone. The rats never returned. <laughs> never ever returned. I left that house years later. I have friends that still live in that house. And the picture is still up in the kitchen, <laughs> I swear. And the rats have not come back, as far as I know. So I, I called my grandfather, too, and I asked him. And he kind of was like, eh? Was a very rabbinical answer. you know." Eh. Uh, but he had never heard of this. Years later, I'm living here in New York City. I'm in a band with a couple of people here. Actually, Michael Levitin was, was, did a tour with us. He played bass. Um, and we're somewhere in the middle of the country in a van telling stories. And I tell this story. And James, our lead singer, says, have you ever Googled it? I know it, it worked. I didn't think to Google it. <laughs> so he takes out his phone and Googles, Rat Rabbi. <laughs> And the first picture that comes up is our rabbi. And when the night is over, you can Google rat rabbi and that picture will be there. And I don't really have an explanation. Fast forward many years later, I'm uh, back in Los Angeles and I'm shadowing directors which basically means you have to sit in the corner in a shadow and try to kind of soak up as much as you can and make a really good impression without saying anything. And uh, so I'm like in week two of, uh, of this shadowing and I kind of overhear the writers talking about a rap problem. <laughs> and I go, here's my in. And they have this rat that's in the writers' room that's kind of stealing their food when they leave the room. They won't go away. They know where it's burrowed in, in the wall, and they don't know what to do about it. So, kind of walk on up, say, "Hey guys, I know you don't know me, but I may have a solution for you." And I told them the story, and they were like, "Okay, whatever you say, man." And uh, and. Two days later, I got a text message from the executive producer with a picture of the rat rabbi on the wall and said, the rat has left. <laughs> and that's kind of it. Uh, I Like some people, you, like you might be able to see this story as this wonderful Hebraic supernatural thing that saved the day. Um, or the way that I sometimes see it is that at the peak of my acting career, I put up a picture of a rabbi that would make people stop talking about you. My show got canceled and I never worked again. Thank you. (laughs)
2: When I was in high school, I was kind of getting in a lot of trouble. I was uh, hanging out on the street corners a lot. So my dad had the idea that you know college, I should go to college in Paris. So we said, yeah, yeah, I won't get in any trouble in Paris. When I got to Paris, you know, I discovered they had street corners in Paris. So when I first arrived, um, I was kind of looking for a job. I wanted to make a little extra money. So I put on like really bad suit and tie, and I was walking around. And I ran into this girl who was a, a prostitute. That uh, She was Russian, and she used to practice her English on me in all the cafes. And no, we had no other involvement other than the cafe English discussions. But uh, I ran into her in front of the uh, Chalet Mall, and she was standing uh, talking to some real like, thug black guy. and. Uh, I said hello, and I just kept it moving. And then she, uh, the guy that was with her, was like, "Hey, uh, you speak English? You speak English?" And I was like, oh, "I don't have time for this." You know, trying to stay away from the street corners, right? So, this guy looked like everything I was trying to avoid back in New York, and you know, tattoos on his neck and missing teeth. And that. So I, I kept it moving, and he's following me. So, "Hey, hey, excuse me, I'm talking to you." And finally, he grabbed my arm, and I yanked my arm back, and I said, what the "Fuck, you doing?" And he's like. What? He started taking off his jacket and his headphones. So I said, Oh, he wants to fight. So, the way I was raised, it's like, you gotta, when you're pressed, you fight, win or lose. You know? And <laughs> I felt like I'm probably gonna lose, but at least I won't get a bad reputation by running away from this guy. And then he said, yeah, Wait a minute. You would fight me? And I was like, uh, yeah, you know, like yeah. I'll but he said, no, 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 wait. You would fight me. And I was like, uh, I think so. And I started looking at him. I said, oh, he has that psychopath look that a lot of fake macho men try to imitate, but he really has it fully, like, <laughs> two different color eyes. One is going this way, one's going that way. Missing teeth, uh, both nostrils pierced. Uh, all the front teeth missing and a big tattoo of the skeleton on his neck that said, I don't give a fuck what people think. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, my name is Little John. I'm from the Vicious Sharks, which is the infamous gang in Paris. And I'm famous in La Sante prison and I'm famous in this prison and I'm a Thai boxer. And I said, well, I didn't know all that pedigree when we met, but, you know, <laughs> um, So he said, no, we're gonna go drink whiskey. I said, I don't drink whiskey. He said, you drink whiskey when you're with me. So I was sort of kidnapped into this friendship with a psychopath. (laughs) And uh, he was unmanageable and dangerous, but he was a fiercely loyal friend. And I really couldn't get rid of him sometimes. And um, I remember at the time I was living with wine merchants in the 16th arrondissement, which is like living on the Upper East Side, and um, very proper household. And I said, He said, we're going to the party tonight. I said, I got school in the morning. He said, Doesn't matter. I said, Well, okay, I got to go home and change. He said, All right, I'm coming with you. And I was trying to shake him, but he was too smart. So he said, I'll ride back with you. So I wait outside of your house until you're ready for the party. That's all right, I guess I'm stuck with him. And, um, as we 're on the train, there was this like uh, in paris this, the subways you have a seat facing this way and a seat facing this way, so you 're looking at strangers through your morning commute, which is odd, but there 's a very proper French kid with you know cashmere sweater and a starched collar and a page boy haircut and little John had stolen some candies from God knows where, and we were eating them and sharing them. And the French kid was obviously, you know, wouldn't mind the candy himself. So he's kind of, and Petit Jean, and though he was, you know, a convict and a, I guess a killer, he, 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 uh, he was sensitive enough to realize this, this kid wanted a candy. So he said, hey, yeah, take a candy. And the kid was, huh? merci beaucoup, and ate the candy. And as he was getting up, the kid was very flustered. And, thrust something in P.T. Jean's hand, and I looked, and it was a big piece of hash, like a $200 piece. So he had a real way with people, which, uh, and, uh, you know, like, I'd bring him in the nightclub, and he'd go in the DJ stand and scratch on the turntable, even though he had no permission, obviously, and, um, uh, you know, a couple times, I realized that, when I first moved to Paris, I was making more enemies than friends because I didn't know the whole rule of the culture there. And I kind of needed an angel protector, and he stepped into that role. So, um, you know, we had kind of a, quite a few adventures together first. And I remember, I guess, it culminates into the story I come to tell you all tonight. Um, all right, so I'm sitting with a girl. And she's with this very outlandishly dressed fashion victim, I don't know, photographer or something. And here comes, like, little John. And he's the wrath of God, I swear. And, and, and he said, hey, Nemo, come on, we, we got business. I said, uh, "No, I'm hanging out with this girl. He said, she's a fucking whore. I said, oh, no, don't do that. I said rather than stay there and have like a real confrontation defending this girl's honor, I said, all right, I'll sort that out later, and I'll just go with him to see what the business is. So we start trooping through the streets, and he said, remember that little skull tattoo I had right here on my hand? I said, yeah. He said, well, I did a little armed robbery thing, and I had a mask on, and they were identifying me through this mark. So um, I had it changed into a devil at the tattoo parlor. I said, oh, yeah, of course. So I said, uh, I said, so what's the problem? He said, well, the guy fucked up my tattoo. Look, it's all scabbed up. I looked at it. I said, well, it just looks like you weren't putting the ointment on it. It's, you know, it's probably a question of ointment. Pet- Petit Jean wasn't the ointment type, right? <laughs> so he said, no, I, we're going to get some money from this guy. I said, well, okay. How much did you pay for the tattoo? He said, oh, I didn't pay nothing. The guy scared me. I said, okay, you didn't pay anything, and you messed it up, but you want to get money from the guy. Petit Jean's also not the logic type of guy. So he was like, you want to eat lunch? I was like, yeah. He said, so come on. So we go down this little pissy street where all the prostitutes hang out at night, and... Um, Play their trade, and there's you know little uh, picturesque uh, biker tattoo parlor with some Harleys in front, and we walk inside. Well, we slam the door like Jesse James gang, and uh, and there's the three hundred pound guy with no shirt and a leather vest and a big ponytail and a beard, and he's tattooing a guy. And, and when we walk in, the guy says, uh, "Take a walk to so the guy he's tattooing." I said, "Oh, this is gonna be something." And, Petit Jean the door. He said, you fucked up my tattoo. I want 300 francs, which I guess $50. And I want it right now, or me and my friend are going to smash the whole place. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I got to go along with it. I got to commit to it at this point. (laughs) So um, the guy is going along with it. He said, let me look at it. He said, oh, no, it's really just a question of of ointment yeah (laughs) so little John you know threatens bloody murder and the guy says okay okay no problem reaches down I said okay we're gonna get 300 francs to go eat lunch but the guy had a better idea he came up with what looked like a sawed-off shotgun and he aimed it at his head and he aimed it at my head he said I'm sick of this I'm not gonna be bullied I'm, I'm gonna kill one of you guys and I looked at it, I said, he's got a point. Like, You can't argue with this auto shotgun, really, right? So I forgot that in any given situation, Petit Jean always found the craziest way of solving the problem. So he looks at me, and in English he says, this guy thinks I'm scared of his gun. So he grabs the gun, and uh, havoc uh, ensued. And there was a fight, and, and suddenly I'm being grabbed, and I said, did somebody get shot? What happened? Uh, no, Petit Jean managed to get the gun out of the guy's hands. So we ran out on the street. The guy's screaming after us that he's been you know, robbed of his murder weapon. And um, as we're running up the street, I realized you know, not a lot of that type of crime really takes place in central Paris, at least. So I said, we're going to be arrested in about five minutes. So. As we're running up the street, I said, OK, take a left. This is why psychopaths always like me. I could always think when the pressure is on. I said, take a left, take a left, and take another left. Because if anybody saw us take a left, if anybody saw us, they'd take, oh, they took a left. They would never think we'd take two lefts and come back around the same. <laughs> so. Uh, on our third left, there was a biz, uh, 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 residential building, and uh, the door was open. So I said, "Oh, let's go in there and sort this out." So we go inside, and he reveals the gun, which is really a thing of beauty. It's, it's actually not a sort of shotgun; it's a 19th century dueling pistol with like engraved <laughs> flowers and unicorns on it. I said, "Wow, it's really something." You know, we got to <laughs> keep this or at least sell it. And um, I said. All right, but for now, it seems like police cars are out there looking for us. So um, I'll tell you what. A black guy with cornrows and piercings on his, tattoos on his face were really easy to find. And we were wearing the same type of jacket, too. It was really bad. It would take literally two minutes to be identified. So I said, you take the cylinder with the bullets in it. And put it in your pocket and I'll take the gun without anything and we'll walk on opposite side of the street until we get out of this area and uh, if police grab you I mean you just got bullets it's not a big deal and I have a gun which is really a collector's item i'll say I want I 'm going to sell it so that was our plan and then like opening up the gun, it's not like a thirty-eight Special or something with like a little uh, valve on it to open it up. It's got some very complicated pin system. So I'm kind of fiddling with it, and little John didn't have much patience for fiddling. He grabs it out of my hand and manages to open it up in the most barbaric way so that the cylinder with the bullets flies up in the air in very slow motion, goes between the banister of the staircase into the basement. So I said, okay, now we just gotta go to the basement to collect it, but the basement door was locked. So we try to open it, it's not working. He goes outside, there's a, a, a Jeep with some, like, sort of uh, stainless steel siding on it, and it says uh, Paris Dakar Race or whatever. He pops that off the side of the Jeep, and he's using this piece of metal to sort of try to jimmy open the basement door when a very proper French businessman walks in, sees what we're up to, and hurries into the elevator. I said, oh, come on, man. Now, like, the the sands of the hourglass are really, you know. <laughs> and um, I said, you know what? Screw it. And he took the gun, and he put it in a plastic bag and threw it in the sewer. And it's funny, because I, I wrote a book recently, and I so badly wanted to. Uh, Use Little John as a character because it, it's autobiographical, but there's no way to talk about him without confessing to any number of crimes, uh, which obviously I don't mean. I don't mind doing in person, but putting it in print, you know. I, I have a son who was not invited tonight, and um, so. Uh, but now Petit Jean's dead, and so I feel like, what the heck, I can tell his story, and uh, if if you. Care to know? Um, I thought, you know, when I heard he was dead, I thought, yeah, they finally got him. They killed him. Somebody got their revenge on him for his any number of crimes he committed. But uh, in fact, in Paris, uh, you guys, a lot of you probably been the subway stops at around midnight. So a lot of the guys that don't have money and they live on the outskirts of town, they find different ways of sleeping outdoors. And he died of exposure and hypothermia. And, and We Lost a Beautiful Soul.
3: On the Firefly platform on sunny Good Street A violent hash smoker shook a chocolate machine Involved in an eating scene Smashing into neon streets in their stoneness smearing their eyes on the crazy color goddess listening to sounds of Mingus mellow fantastic my my they sigh my my they sigh in doll with colored lights swinging strange music boxes sadly tinkling drink in the sun shining all in satin and velvet You gaze at his splendor with eyes you've not used yet I tell you his name is love Love, love My, my, they sigh.
0: a live musical performance by Nellie Mackay. And before that, you heard stories from Raviv Ullman and Nemo Labrizi. And uh, you're about to hear a version of the Tell theme song sung by Dina Rudine. This is the background music playing <laughs> beneath me right now uh, with Ian Underwood on bass, Chris Egan on drums, Matt Botter on saxophone and John Coward on keyboard and me playing uh, uh, guitar. Uh, And all these versions of the Tell theme song and the podcast in general is co-produced by Gabriel Galvin. Um, If you'd like to come see the Tell in person at one of our live installments, which happen every month at the Jane Hotel Ballroom in New York, you can go to thetellstories.com and find out when the next one is. All the instructions are there. Uh, So that's it. This was episode 11 of the Tell.
4: Story you won't tell but yeah I witnessed held and spool. it's brilliant cause it's written by a fool oh yeah you got a character the man who broke the rule got his come up lost his cool it's brilliant cause it's
3: written